Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. I hope you had a beautiful Rosh Hashanah New Year and that your fasting's going well. If you are fasting today, today we begin a three-part series, two of which are already recorded. One isn't yet, so I hope it can come out in a consecutive fashion. However, we have to get started on this one. I've recorded these a couple of months back, so I want to get these out for you. The theme is Israel, Eretz Israel, or Eretz Israel, and Aliyah, or non-Aliyah, and the pros and cons. I really wanted to create a resource for you out there. I've been very interested by this topic, and I wanted to share this experience on this platform. So I hope you are having a beautiful new year. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to the Francisco Show. Today with us, we have Aliyah expert, Bracha Kurtzer-Gross. Welcome to the show, Bracha. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Francisca. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. I've been really interested and curious to do this series on Aliyah because there is so much here to unpack and there's so much emotion, passion, so many different reasons that people make Aliyah and want to make Aliyah or yearn to make Aliyah live in the land. I'd like to break this down and really create this resource for people to have more information on what it's like to make Aliyah, potentially hearing highlights as well as lowlights and being realistic about what it means to move countries to different side of the world, different mentalities and everything in between. So let's just start off by you introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I have to say this is a resource that I know I would have appreciated when I made Aliyah. So I'm excited that I get to be part of this. I made Aliyah when I was in the middle of 11th grade with my family. I grew up in a modern Orthodox home and growing up, my mother was always talking about like literally next year in Israel, like we're going to be making Aliyah. We're moving. We're moving. We're going to live in Israel. We're going to live in Israel. So for me, in the middle of 11th grade, Despite that being a stressful time to make Aliyah, I was thrilled. I went to an Israeli all-girls school in Ulpana, and I finished my Bagriot, and I finished like on time with my peers. I did Sherut Me at Nefesh Benefesh, and then I continued to work there for a year. I studied in Israel. I studied at the IDC and then at University of Haifa. I met my husband there. And eventually, I moved back to North America. So that's where I am now. I'm in Toronto. But I have my, my parents and my in-laws are in Israel. My sister is in Israel. I have lots of cousins and aunts and uncles in Israel. So definitely still a lot of ties to Israel and a lot of experience. I've seen Aliyah through many different lenses, both professionally and personally. So I'm really excited to get to explore some of that with you and unpack it and, and try to be as helpful of a resource for people who are interested in this. Let's start out by talking about the different stages for people to make Aliyah and maybe talk about the pros and cons of each age and stage. So if we had to break them down and let me know if I'm wrong, we have children of New Olim. So that's the youngest age you can be singles or after school to before getting married, newlyweds who get married and move to Israel, young families moving with little kids. So the perspective of the parents, 
midlife families, meaning your kids are already in schools and you are picking them up and moving. And then people who say we're going to move after our kids move out or all our kids are married off, et cetera. We want to retire in the Holy Land. So let's break those down a little bit. I'd love to. I'm going to sort of like have a repeated theme that I'll use from all of these different perspectives. There's like, there's a formula, I guess, that I would say to consider at any different age as you're considering Aliyah. And that's like two main factors for success being the first, a strong motivation and the second, a strong support network. When you have those two things in place, it really, really increases your chance for success and like enjoyment in your Aliyah. So for example, as for children, moving at any state, like moving anywhere in the world while you have kids is going to be a challenge. Even if you're moving from one area of New York to another area of New York, you know, you're taking your kids out of a school, you're moving to a new neighborhood, you're changing their friends, you're changing their environment. Change can be overwhelming for children. Something that's very helpful for a child is to gauge their motivation. Are they excited about Israel? What do they know about Israel? What do they think about the process, including them as people in this process, as opposed to, you know, entities that you're bringing along with you? For me, as a kid making Aliyah, like I said, I was thrilled from everything from like every Pesach, we were reading the Haggadah, we get to the end, we're like, okay, next year in Jerusalem. And I'm like, why aren't we there? We can go. So like, why aren't we there? As a kid, it was very real to me. Like Hashem gave us Israel, we should be there. So let's get going. I, of course, not every child is going to feel that way. So gauging your kid's interest or excitement in the process and then finding ways to support that is going to be really, really key. Figuring out what is exciting about it. It could be from a religious perspective. It could be from a cultural perspective, a historical perspective. We often think of little kids as just like that they're not tuned into all these things, but they are. So that to me is a really important part of the formula. Bringing your children to Israel is engaging them and, and learning more about what it means to them. That's one element for children. Of course, there are particular things, and this is a repeated theme across all of our different categories. Language barrier and cultural barrier are going to be pretty strong. Even if you come from you know, an environment where you're like, let's say I, I was in Jewish day school all my life, like I, I could read Rashi, but I couldn't like read Hebrew without Nikudot. So like coming to Israel, it was a challenge because I couldn't really understand. I, I knew the language, but I didn't know it enough to express myself. And children in general, that's you know, the time of their life when they are learning to do that. And it could be extra frustrating to not have that ability. So there's that hurdle. Children, though, have the benefit of having the easiest time in picking up a new language. So it's about sort of getting through that mush bear, like getting through that hurdle of picking up the language. So if you're wanting your child, like you're bringing your child on Aliyah and you're wanting them to have a successful time, I would recommend as much as possible encouraging them to be immersed in Hebrew speaking environments and to, even though it's hard, to push through it because they will absorb the language the fastest. So that's definitely a plus. They have the easiest time. Okay, then moving on to young adults who make Aliyah on their own. So yeah, for young adults, of course, there's an important element to think about when you're moving to Israel. And that's, and all the things I say are kind of applied to all of these different groups, but shine in different ways. 
I would say for this age group, consider if you're running to something or away from something. Israel sometimes has this like shiny, especially like for singles, we're like, oh, in Israel, everyone's just going to be Jewish. So like, I, I'm going to be able to find like my Bashert. It will be easy. You know, oh, I'm so tired of the dating scene in New York. or I'm tired of the dating scene in LA or where, whatever it might be. And like Israel can kind of seem like uh, Shangri-La because that's our homeland. That's where all the Jewish people are. So I'm going to be able to find someone. And a lot of people do. I, I'm very lucky. I found my, I met my husband in Israel. But to realize that you're not running away from an uncomfortable situation in the States or in Canada or wherever you are, that you're going to Israel to seek out the very unique type of platform that Israel provides. And that is a definitely a unique way to engage with your Judaism. It's much more stratified than I would say in North America, where you can sort of identify more easily like, oh, this person's modern Orthodox, this person's yeshivish, this person's Hasidish. And it's kind of like there are more clear boundaries and there are these groups that are easy to identify. In Israel, there's so many gradations, kind of bleeds together. So as a single person, that's a benefit and a drawback. It's a benefit because you as an individual can find other individuals who are practicing their Judaism or not practicing their Judaism, depends how you look at it who are approaching it in a similar way to you, but it can also provide overwhelm. And the bottom line is like the search for your person is still the search for your person, no matter where you are. So there are the similar types of tropes that you might experience in New York or LA, like they still do exist in Israel. You're still like the dating scene is still a dating scene. Being single is still being single. And if you're going to Israel to embrace what it means to be in Israel, that's the positive. But I would say, just make sure you're not going there to like run away from or because like, oh, I just can't deal with it anymore in your current location. And this probably applies also to families who might be running away to start fresh or running away mm -hmm. because health insurance and tuition yeah. and potentially education for anyone who has learning disabilities in their family might be Absolutely. unavailable. That it's exactly right. It's an important thing to make sure that you have the right goggle on as you're approaching these things because it's not a solve all. It's There really isn't a place in the world. Hashem gives us challenges wherever we are. That's how we grow. There isn't a place in the world that's not going to have that. And there are benefits and there are drawbacks of every place. But like you said, like young families and young couples who are, are looking like, so I live in Toronto. And real estate prices here, it's just astronomical. Like the thought of owning a house in Toronto is like many young couples are, how can we ever even dream about doing that? So in Israel, you can go, I mean, it's also very expensive in Israel, but there's sort of like this thought like, oh, it's just going to be easier there. It's going to be better. It's going to be easier. It's going to be, it'll solve all my problems. So yes, there are some things that get solved while other things get opened up. And that's, that's part of our conversation today. So yeah, for young families, as the parents, let's say, of young children, where you're wanting to make sure that your child is acclimating to a new culture, that you are acclimating to that culture as well, to the language. Like, of course, everybody has a different level of, of Hebrew mastery, of like social, cultural mastery and comfort and like in integrating into that. But there is a big gap for North Americans and the culture that we're used to 
and then what we experience in Israel. It has changed over the year as more and more Anglos move to Israel. There are more Anglos starting to participate in political life in Israel and municipal life in Israel and things where you do get to have a little bit more representation in like your approach to or what you're used to. But the bottom line is there's still a big culture gap. That's something that like going back to like the formula that I was mentioning in the beginning. If you have your motivation, if you have the real reason burning in your soul, I want to live in Israel because I'm Zionist. I want to live in Israel because I really believe Hashem gave us this land and he wants us there. He wants us to be building it up or whatever it is that's your motivation. It should be on fire in your heart. You shouldn't be running away from something. You should be running to Israel because of that fire. That combined with having that support. And that could be like your blood family, let's say. You're going and you're joining your sister and your brother-in-law and their kids there, or your whole family's moving there. Whatever it is, like you might have blood relatives. You might have a family of choice there. You might be going there to build up a family of choice. But having a support network in Israel is really, really also crucial to your success in Aliyah. And it can't, it shouldn't be underestimated. So when you're at any of these stages, if you're a little kid, you're going there with your family. If you have siblings, do you have cousins? Do you have an ability to make friends? If you're a young adult, are you putting yourself in situations? Are you in university? Are you joining like a young professionals group? Are there ways for you to build a network of people around you that can be there to support you? If you don't have blood family there with you. Same thing with young families. Are you moving to communities that there are many people who find it important to like, you know, I don't want to be in an Anglo community. I want to just connect right away to Israelis. And I encourage that. I say, go ahead and go with that knowledge of like, yes, there's a culture gap. Yes, there's a language gap. But go with the idea of making these people into your support network. Because the truth is, there will be days where you end up in Misrata Pneem and you're sitting there for eight hours I speak from real experience and you're sitting there and you're like, why am I here? Why am I spending my life like this? Like just sitting here hour after hour waiting in line to talk to somebody to solve a problem that I thought was solved three weeks ago until I found a letter that said that it wasn't and I have to go bring, I have to go to Ashdod. And then like you get sent on wild goose chases. You spend a lot of time in offices doing things that you wish you didn't have to do, talking to people. You don't quite know what's going on. And if you have that motivation and if you have that support, you can get through those things. You can get through those challenges. If this is another way for me to show Hashem or show my family or show myself that like this is my place, this is my land, this is where I want to be. It gets harder though if you don't have those. Let's get our last one in the the mid families we sort of covered or did we cover? Because I want to move on to... Yeah, sure. I think that it's similar with young families. Like the, the idea of like, you know, for when my, I'm the eldest of five and when my family made Aliyah, so I was 16 and my youngest brother was six and my mother was sort of overseeing that range of children in Israeli school, like all of us trying to acclimate to learning Hebrew, some of us having like health things that we had to like go to the doctors and like she had to advocate for us. So thinking about like when you're in a young family too, you might be a parent of teens you're your child's advocate. You're obviously, you're that as a parent wherever you are. But in Israel, that then requires you to sort of put on your big boy 
pants and you have to deal with the principal who only talks to you in Hebrew if you don't know what it is that they're saying. Like you have to bring somebody with you to help translate. You have to be going to bat for your children in a culture and in a language that is not your native culture and language. And that is a big hurdle. I have seen that be very challenging for people. But when you have that motivation, you're like, I'm here in Israel. I'm, I want my children to be brought up in this environment. I want them to see that, I, that hurdles are hurdles and we can overcome them. If you have your motivation, then you will make it through okay. But it's, it is a challenge. Retired people. So retired people, that's to me, it's like a very interesting group of people because I feel like a lot of the formula and repetition that I see across the first several groups of people, it's slightly different for retired folks because you've done the raising, you've done the, like you've made your money, you've done your life thing, you've had your career, you've positioned yourself in society. So on one hand, I've seen these people be like, oh yeah, I've done that and now like, Let's say all of their kids happen to make Naliyah and I want to go join my kids because like they're all there and I don't really have to worry about making a name for myself or earning money because like I'm retired and it's all good. Or they can be like something very different where it's like maybe their whole family is still in North America and they're moving to Israel to like finally fulfill their dreams and they can still have that like the weight and the responsibility of bringing up others is on the other side. They don't have to worry about that. But there is a benefit of coming in that, I would say that's one of the easier groups to do that. However, there's also in sharp relief, the issue of the culture and the language being so much more ingrained. I've seen retired people have a really hard time connecting to Israeli culture and connecting to friends and community because of that reason, because they've been established. They're longtime pillars of the community and wherever they were. And now they want to live out their days in Israel and they feel like they're starting from scratch. And it could be pretty jarring for them too. Having that motivation, having that like why they're there, why do they want to be in Israel? What is it that's driving them? Having that in the front of their mind and having a support network. There are lots of organizations that do social events for retirees. So like making sure that if they don't, if people who are retired they want to make Aliyah, that they connect with those groups and not to underestimate the importance of the social support because it can feel very isolating otherwise. For sure. So anyone could be listening to this and may identify or relate to one group or another or feel that one group or another is an easier stage. Would you say there is a classic stage that's the best time to make Aliyah? Do you have a winner category? <laughs> a winner category. I would say probably a young adult. So someone who is making, so is able to have the agency to be making this choice themselves, but is not yet attached to a family or a life path. I think that when you then can go to Israel and you're establishing yourself, you're establishing your career, you're establishing who you are, who you want to be. I think that is like a sweet spot for Aliyah because you are, you're just, you have the responsibility for yourself, but not for other people, not even for a spouse, because it can be like in anything, like in a relationship, like one, the husband might be really, really into 
buying real estate and the wife could be like, I really don't want real estate. And there could just be so many differences in a relationship that you have to balance out that adding Aliyah to the mix, it can be so emotional and so spiritual that it can be overpowering from one spouse to another. Like maybe one spouse doesn't really care as much about Aliyah, but feels guilty that they don't want to hold back their spouse. So they make Aliyah and then they can regret it or they can feel resentment. So once you start adding other people and other responsibilities into the mix, the calculations just get a little bit more nuanced. And then again, as a child, you don't really have the say. So there's that. You don't really get a choice, but that can also lead to resentment because you can feel pulled in. And you're like, oh, you know, I feel like I had like I had to leave my friends in Denver and moved and I miss them. And I wish I didn't have to do that. And you can have resentment towards Israel. You can have resentment towards God. You can have resentment towards your family when you don't have that agency. So if I had to pick, I would say young adults with the agency, but without the responsibility for others. Well, this was comprehensive and hopefully helpful to other people. Let's move into some other topics that may come up for other people. And I know throughout the series, we will be covering the same topics, but with other people's perspectives and ideas. Give us the perspective on Nefesh Benefesh as someone who has worked there. Challenges are challenges. People have challenges wherever they are. But think about the unanswerable questions or the problems that haven't been solved yet that you know, a certain family is, you know, heading toward or an individual is heading toward and you're just going to help them through this, knowing it potentially could be a disaster. Okay. Maybe I'll <laughs> rephrase the question. Yeah. Are there, are there <laughs> any like no-nos besides for you're not fully passionate about it for considering maybe postponing or completely not doing Aliyah? Does Nefesh, Benefesh ever really decline someone? And for what reasons? Yeah, I don't want to speak on their behalf just because I haven't worked there for a while. So I like I I don't feel like I can do your best say that on their behalf. But from what I would say, from what I have seen in my both personal and professional capacity, is it's really the running away. You know, people who are in the middle or recently divorced, people who might have other messy family situations, people who might have just lost a spouse or a parent or are in emotional situations, which are good and they spur people to take important action. Like, wow, I just lost my grandmother who always talked about living in Israel and suddenly it has become clear to me that I should be living in Israel. Like that's a very good motivator, but it's important to make sure that people are making this choice from a rational planned and calculated perspective as opposed to an emotional perspective. Like any life decision, but seeing people who are in the middle of messy emotional situations, often it just spells trouble in Israel because any move is a change. And a cross-country move is a change, a cross-cultural move is a change, and that like rocks your foundation. And if your foundation is already being rocked by something else, you're not setting yourself up for success. So again, like I can't speak to Nefesh Benefesh saying like, oh no, like we wouldn't accept this person because of X, Y, or Z reason. Like that's beyond what I can speak to. But if you are listening to this and you are going through something, let yourself settle 
a little bit before you make this big decision. Because while it might seem like a fix all, and in the big picture, making Aliyah really does do that for people's lives. Like people say like, yes, that was the best decision that I would not have changed. And I'm like, this is the best decision that I've ever made. But you can set yourself up for just like extra heartache and extra work if you are experiencing an upheaval and then just decide to to use that as impetus for Aliyah. I have seen a lot of people make Yerida or even stay there and just be not living in the way that that is the, like to their best potential if they've come in that through that perspective. I don't know if we discussed this on our pre-chat, but what about the communities that are moving as communities now? For example, in America, there are some more on the Haredi spectrum communities where they feel like doomsday is coming in North America and who knows what's happening. We should just all pick up together, find a community, move into the same neighborhood, build our own schools. What are your thoughts? Is that a more successful route toward easier and successful adjustments? There there are positives and negatives about that. Again, that really speaks strongly to the support network, like that they definitely identified a very important element of it and like have that in the bag. They would be going as a community and they have each other as a community and that will really contribute to their success. I think the running away from something again is very present in that line of thinking. And I really understand it because whatever your politics are, whatever it is, whatever you're seeing happening in North America, like it's very easy to see, like even just like in big picture Jewish history, like you don't want patterns to repeat themselves. You want to get you and the people that you love in a situation where you know that you'll be safe. So there is an element of like running away that's sort of inevitable to that way of thinking. But there has to be something more to going to Israel and what you're going to positively build there to drive you and drive your community success. Because you can't really live in a bubble in Israel. Like there are obviously like communities that feel very insulated even still, those communities have to deal with Misrata Pneem and they have to, you know, have so, like, well, they don't have to have cell phone plans. A lot of people don't have cell phones. <laughs> but they, you know, they have to interact with the world around them healthcare. to a certain extent. Healthcare. Yep. You have to be able to go to Bitua Halumi and know how to communicate and advocate for yourself and for your health. You have to be able to do all of those things. And they are challenges. And if you don't have that positive motivation, to why you are there, then the negative thing quickly fades. Like there's the grass is always greener syndrome. Like mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, you know, like it's terrible here, but over there it's going to be better. If that's how you're thinking about it, that will apply anywhere you go. You'll be in Israel and then you'll forget about all the bad things and they'll be like, oh, it's so hard here. America was better. And then you're going to go back to like, you can't keep just demonizing where you are and putting on a pedestal this other place. You have to really just seek the good in the place that you're going to without demonizing where you are. As a nation, we have definitely made our way back to the land for many different reasons. And many times it was running away from enemies, from people who wanted to kill us and destroy us. So it isn't in our DNA to seek a safe space. But are you saying that 
obviously in emergencies and urgent situations, you have no choice. And that's why you go and you make do with what happens because there's no way of going back versus somebody who has the fear of the worst and thereby making that decision. Not to be super grim, but somebody who was running away from Poland in World War II times, and they were like, that's it. That's all they could do. And they were making their way to Israel. They couldn't go back. There was no going back. They were going somewhere because like, like you said, to save their lives, they had to make their way and they had to find asylum. They had to find safety. But the truth of the matter is, at this time, Bar Hashem, of course, we do experience anti-Semitism, but we as Jewish people are thriving in North America. We have lives in North America. We can live here. We can raise our children in relative safety, in relative comfort. And so because we're not being like chased out of America, should we not be ever, but with like pitchforks and torches or anything, because we can come back, then oftentimes when the going gets tough in Israel, and you've moved there because you're thinking, well, America is really the education here. Like, I'm very scared of like the direction that that's going. I'm very scared of like the anti-Semitism. I'm scared of all these things of what's happening in America. But it's still a viable option. You'll just turn to seeing that as a viable option. And if you see that as an option, you can go back. People do. And the truth is, like, that's fine. Like, I'm part of that demographic. My family made Aliyah and then my parents moved back and then I moved back and then my parents actually move back to Israel. There is flip-flopping in my instance, and I don't want to be hypocritical that's there. But the less you uproot yourself, the better I think like you want to be in a place where you can build your life. You can build a family. You can build strong relationships. You can contribute to society. And if you're constantly in this, okay, this place is better. No, this place is better. Then you're just detracting from being fully present. So like you said, for people who really have no place to go back to. Of course, you're running away from something and that makes total sense. But just beware of running away from something and thinking that like, oh, it's so negative there. Like all I have to do is get out of there because it's very possible that you will lose those perspectives once you're in a place also facing hardship because there will be hardship. Now let's go to the more practical elements We don't want to be running away. We want to be going to Israel for the right reasons, proactive reasons, passionate reasons, idealistic reasons. What do you have to deal with? And break (laughs) it down. I know there is, you, you have to obviously find a place to live. You need documents. You need to change your healthcare, potentially educational systems for your children, for yourself. You have the army to consider or Shurulumi. What does it look like? Paint a picture a little bit of what it's like. So I'll just funny anecdote. So yeah, having made Aliyah in 11th grade and growing up there and like spending hours and hours in these different offices and then moving back to the States. I remember when I was getting my license back in Denver and I was talking to somebody. I'm like, okay, I have to go to the DMV. And they're like, oh, the DMV, it's terrible. It's awful. It's like, oh, it's such a headache. And I like was laughing. I'm like, Please, I have waited in line. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's like the I think one of the one of the things that specifically for Americans is like just so shocking. I live in Canada now and there's definitely more bureaucracy, but just the difference of approach of like everything that you do there 
you have to go to a very specific office and they're open from 9 to 11.15, but at 10.45, they have their Hafsakat Cafe. And so like you can only see people for 45 minutes every other Tuesday. And so you have to take off a whole day of work to go and see them. Like, I know it sounds like exaggeration. It's a smidge of exaggeration in there. But the truth is like you spend a lot of time getting basic things done that can be incredibly frustrating especially for Americans who are like, oh, there's an app for that. I could just like click, 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 no problem. I could just, you know, like my bank, I don't have to chase my bank. Like my bank comes to me and tells me like, oh, hey, it looked like there was a fraudulent activity on your card. Do you want to like press this button? Everything's okay. And like in Israel, you have to like call a thing and then show up and then go in a line. And there's just a lot of bureaucracy that you deal with. And that's sewn into every different thing, whether that's going to sign up for the army or going to sign up for Share It Lumi. There's like getting your kid enrolled in school, getting your transcripts from school. Any different thing that you're planning on doing, there's just a lot of time that's dedicated to getting things done in Israel, which can be very frustrating. But again, if you're so down to be there and you're like, yes, this is my place. I'm so happy I'm here. It's very easy to contend with. I remember at one point I was like, okay, I think it was like the third time that I had to go to Misrata Panim. And the first two times I literally was there for eight hours. And each time I finally got to my appointment, they were like, oh, you don't have this one document. So you have to come back. And I'm like, okay. And so like third time they say in Hebrew, Pam Shlishi Glida. And so like, it's like third time's a charm. Mm -hmm. Third time's a charm with ice cream. I remember that time I like, I brought a book. I made sure I had every single document that I have in my existence. It was in my little file folder. I was there, I was reading my book. I'm like, I have my snack, I'm good. And I was like, yeah, and you know what? I'm so happy to be in Israel. This is my place. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. It drove me a little bit crazy, but I was remembering why I was there and it was fine. Yeah, there's that element that sort of encompasses everything. But like you were saying, it, it definitely depends what stage of life you're in, whether you're a parent of small children and making sure that you're enrolling them in the schools, like while school is far more affordable, Oftentimes, school still costs a nominal fee. Again, for us in North America who are used to like Jewish day school tuition, it's much more accessible, but it's not free. It's not it's not nothing. And you also have to make sure that like the hashkafa of your school is really what you're aiming for. Because like I was saying earlier in our discussion in North America, there are the, it, we have a little bit more clarity around the types of, again, like the, that's a Hasidic school, that's a yeshiva school, that's a... B'nai Akiva school, that's a modern Orthodox school, that's a reform, like it's a little bit clearer. And in Israel, it's great. All the Jewish people are there. And so there's like these like very, very nuanced gradations of differences in Hashkafa. And so making sure that the community that you live in matches your Hashkafa, making sure that the school that you're sending your child matches your Hashkafa, it takes a little bit more research. So just be prepared to spend that time to like fully understand the community that you're going to join. I know people who would go spend Shabbos in different communities to get to know them, to see if that was their vibe. And that's, I would very much recommend doing that if you can base yourself somewhere, maybe not buy a house right away, but base yourself somewhere so that you can go around and meet different communities, meet different people to make sure that you're really going to feel like you're part of the community that you're joining. I would say young couples, who are like unmarried couples and also people with young children it's very important to make sure that you're like setting yourself up for a good 
experience with your community. I love these guidelines that you brought up because there are a lot of young families who are technically or young adults who can go to a few different communities and end up having different lifestyles religiously. And they are more flexible in terms of hashkafa, but also community. And Israel has so many more options than other places. So I like these ideas that you suggest. And a lot of people do go on pilot trips to go and experiment and see what different communities are like. I think pilot trips are great. I would caution against them for (laughs) a few few reasons. Because everyone's promoting, do it, do it. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's not what you need to hear. That's not exactly, exactly. It, It comes down to like actually living the experience. And there's not really a way to shortcut that. So it's like, imagine that like, well, even like, I, you know, kind of make fun of it, like, oh, so-and-so like went on birthright and then they loved Israel so much that they like made Aliyah. And it's like, well, that's great. But like what you saw on birthright and then what you experienced living there are very different things. So be aware that like one of them is like tourist Israel and then one of them is day-to-day Israel. And they're both beautiful, but they're very different. So be prepared to have reality come at you and what that means. So don't even coming on a pilot trip, like I know it's like my in-laws, I think that they made their aliyah in stages. And I really respect how they did it because they took their time and like really get it, like getting their feet wet. My husband's family, they spent a year there when they, he's also the eldest of five kids and they had most of their kids in, I think it was like grade school. And they were there for a year. So they were able to spend a year there. They went to school. They were in a community. They got a sense of it. And then they went back. And then a few years later, my mother-in-law and my husband's two youngest siblings made Aliyah and they were in high school. And then they they went back. But then my mother-in-law and father-in-law made Aliyah to that community. So they realized like that's where they want to be. They, they've done it in Shlavim. Like they've gone in stages so that they really get a set, like there's no, there's not a surprise for them. Like, wow, what really Israel is like this because they've spent the time going there. Not everybody can afford to do that though. It's the truth. They are both doctors. They were able to find time to, you know, arrange for their Parnassa to allow for them to be here and to do that. And it's a blessing and it's not something that everybody can have or that everybody wants to do. And so as much time as you can give this decision and as much time that you can spend in real Israel life, do it. Like if you have the ability, let's say you're a newly married couple and you have the ability for to spend a year or two living in Israel. And you don't know if you for sure want to live there forever, but you like, you can do it. I recommend doing it because you'll get to see what the day-to-day life is without like committing your entire life to making Aliyah. A lot of people do that and then do make Aliyah. And that's great because that's like their their reconnaissance into living in Israel. And obviously something that I think of when I talk about this is with the spies in Israel and like them coming back in the Torah and like coming back and saying like how there's terrifying, scary giants and like the fruit is so big and it's like so scary and bad. Like, obviously, I don't want to be speaking Lashon Hara about living in Israel and it's beautiful. And really, truly being able to see the challenges of living in Israel as opportunities from Hashem, like, oh, how terrible that there are such big grapes that like, it's so scary because they're so huge. But like, it's a huge grape. That's amazing. It's a bounty. It's really about how you frame it and like the willingness to frame it that way. But to be realistic at the same time, like 
go and look and see with your eyes and then, you know, do what you can to gather that information. And then again, if you have that, let's say you're coming at it from a from perspective, you know, this is our land. Hashem wants me to be here. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Then come at it with like the bitachon that Hashem is also going to help you through the challenges of living in Israel. If you're coming at it from a Zionist perspective or you're coming at it from like a cultural Jewish perspective, whatever the perspective is, know the reality, but then also allow yourself to use your motivation to get it through. Like, I don't think it's being delusional to be like, okay, there are all these challenges and hard things, but everything's okay. Because if you are able to get through the day, you're able to go to Misrata Pneum and be there for eight hours and take a Yom Sidurim because sometimes you legit have to take an entire day <laughs> off of work in order to get things done. But if you can do that and you can do that with whatever motivation it is that's allowing you to do that, you're living your best life. That's good. But just know that there are challenges. What are some of the things one would have to let go of to be able to, with more ease, surrender into Israeli culture? What would be your top three tips? That is is such a great question. I think it's also changed over time. I think that like some of our material comforts in North America used to be much more hard to find in Israel. And so like I would have said like, oh, you'll really miss going to Target (laughs) and those types of things. But the truth is like you really can find everything in Israel that you would need or want. Like maybe you change the type of shampoo that you use, but like they have good shampoo. They have the stores and stuff that you're used to. So like from that material perspective, I would say that used to be one, but I don't think it's as big of an adjustment. What about driving and grocery shopping? (laughs) Those are great questions. I personally was spoiled with driving in Denver because I found that Denver drivers are so nice. And I find like I personally would never, ever drive in Israel because like, but I also wouldn't drive in New York. So take with that what you may like. (laughs) There are people who are like, oh, yeah, no problem. I totally drive in New York. I was just there visiting my brother for his wedding. And I was like, "Mm, no, not driving. My husband's doing that. So, you know, there are people who are totally fine with that. It's very aggressive driving. So be prepared for very aggressive driving. You could also end up in a dangerous territory if you make the wrong turn. I think that that is hard to do (laughs) because if you actually end up like turning someplace where you're not supposed to go, the IDF is going to be there before you. Like you're not going to suddenly end up someplace where like it's unlikely that that Mm -hmm. will happen. But be careful. But that's the same thing with like all of living in Israel. And I, I always found myself feeling much more safe in Israel walking around than in the States walking around, especially like at night or as a woman in certain areas, like just knowing that the security system in Israel is what it is. I wish it didn't have to be that way. Of course, like I think there are much better things for us to use our time and resources on, but as a necessity to protect ourselves, that feeling of security is real. And I think it's harder to end up in a really bad situation. But be aware of your surroundings. I say that to people everywhere, though. Be aware of your surroundings. Another question that just came up that, and because we have several guests, I don't want to repeat questions like lice and army. But if you have anything to add, you're welcome to. I'd like to ask you about the people who move as singles in hopes to find their Bashar, who maybe from completely the opposite side of the world, but also ends up in Israel. In terms of dating and marriage, what are some of the benefits and also challenges that come up with just gauging? Is that person on your 
EQ level, for example, or is it just a language barrier or a cultural barrier? I've heard people say, oh, go to Israel, you'll pass for normal <laughs> because, <laughs> because they won't pick it up with because of the language barrier. If you're slightly on the spectrum or you're slightly something else, because there's so much that with culture and language that that part can get sort of camouflaged. My question makes sense. That does make sense. It's a really, I honestly, like, I haven't really thought of it from that perspective, but that's so interesting. I think that also kind of speaks to what I was saying before about having a strong network because having people, whether it's like your blood relatives or like a family of choice, people who you trust like intrinsically with your life, having them, have, building a network of those people so that when, if and when you do meet your shared there, there are other people who get to know this person and can sort of verify that they see what you see and you see what they see and that things are good. I think that that is really important and it's going to help, especially like you said, the language barrier. And that could happen across, it's not just like Hebrew English, but like, you know, an uh, American might meet a French person or all sorts of different things. It's like, we're all there. It's sort of like a beautiful melting pot. The different cultural gaps that can exist between these different places. As long as you, I don't know, like if you're going there and you're like part of a yeshiva, so like if your Rebbe verifies people, like have people look into your person that I think is that could save some heartache but I haven't given it much thought from the perspective of is somebody who they say they are it's a good question because yeah because Israel is a place where people tend to run away from too like they run from something and they end up there there can be all starting fresh it's a restart thank people yeah exactly with the we're starting fresh like nobody knows me I can like you know whatever on one hand since there's really sometimes it's silly stigmas that in your local community that maybe you wear pants, but you also keep Shabbos and kosher. And so like people saw you and they were like, oh my gosh, she wears pants. We can't talk to her. And now you're like suddenly not in the community, but you're like, but I'm a normal person. And you're like, okay, I'll go to Israel and I'll wear pants and I'll keep Shabbos and kosher. And like, I'll find my person who also does that. Like there's that type of starting fresh and there are other types of starting fresh. But the bottom line is have people have people on your team whether they are blood relatives or chosen have people on your team yep and so then really it could be your rebbe it could be a neighbor it could be a community like it, it could be whatever whoever it is as long as like you feel like you really you've gotten to know them and they get to know you and that you like you could lean on them but you did mention how Personally, you have been very excited and you did make Aliyah for the right reasons. It was also not in your full control. You were a minor at the time, but that you did do Yerida, as you called it. Is there a sense of failure or shame with it? Can you explain your reasons behind it? And are you regretful or are you happy with your decision? Can you walk us through that? Because I wasn't fully in my control as a child. But I was very into it, very excited. I grew up in a modern Orthodox family. I myself considered myself Orthodox and I was also Zionist and like all of those like motivations were there. I had my family, like I had those two things really going for me. I became not religious. I lost one of my motivators. So I was there and I was like, well, I don't really 
feel this connection with Hashem. Like, I don't, do I even believe in Hashem? I don't know. Like, why am I here? Why am I suffering to be in this land that's driving me crazy? And like, I don't even know if I believe in God. Like, what am I doing? There was an element of that. And that compounded with my parents also moving back to the States. And at the time, my my boyfriend slash then fiance's parents and family also moving back to Canada. So then reason number two was taken away, like the support network. Like I have my cousins and I have friends, but the real true people I relied on for that support nonstop were not there anymore. So it's funny because like now I'm very proud. I love my journey that I've been on, finding my way back to Hashem and finding my way back to the importance of Judaism and Jewish practice and the importance of Israel and all of that stuff. I feel like I've built it for myself back into my life. And so I think for a while, like I made Yuri Da and I was like, I didn't, I wouldn't even call it Yuri Da. Like I was just like, I just moved back because like that place wasn't for me. It was driving me crazy. It gave me way too much stress. And I'm like, goodbye. I do not need to live in a terrible, stressful place. I think where I am right now is I think that there are definitely spiritual reasons to be in Israel and religious and practical reasons. Like you can't underestimate the beauty of it being like, Purim and like the whole country is celebrating Purim and you're like everywhere is Purim. It's not like oh wow I'm driving down this block and I saw some people delivering Mishloch Mano. I was like oh wow like the whole country is doing this. This is so cool. Like you can't underestimate just how cool that is. So I think that there are like practical reasons for people who are like practicing their Judaism. I think there are spiritual reasons of like the land being a chosen land from Hashem like being connected to Hashem in that land. I think there are those types of reasons. And I think there are also, like how you were mentioning about people feeling like it's a safe place for Jews. I think there are definitely those reasons too now. So I don't know if I feel shame or anything. It was funny. So Rabbi Fass, who is the founder of Nefesh Benefesh, is a close family friend. He actually said one of the brachas at our chuppah. He's close with our family. And when we were leaving Israel, I told him that we were leaving. And he was like, oh, that's a shame. And I have to say, that's like the one person, like the one time I really felt like, oh, wow, I'm like letting somebody down. I should really be staying. So there's like a smidge of that where it's like, okay, there's a little bit of maybe let down in myself. (laughs) But I think honestly, for where I am right now, my husband's family is all based in Toronto. We're raising children near all of his siblings and their children. And it's like such a blessing to get to be together that I feel like right now where we are is where we're supposed to be. But yeah, I think that now I would call it Yurida because I do feel like I do recognize the difference in, in like holiness and purpose of like living in Israel and living in Canada. There is a difference there, at least in my view. <laughs> let's talk about ARMY now. Yeah, let's go into that. I'll let you speak about it. Please share some of your personal experience with us. Sure. So I was, I did share with me, which I loved. I love that there is an option to serve the country that like, as a, like a religious girl, I didn't want to be in the army. I didn't feel like that was right for me, but I still had a way to dedicate time and give back to my country. And there are so many different ways that you can do that. It's amazing. The infrastructure that exists to give your time, it's so awesome. And the resources for like loan Benoche route are definitely increasing. If you want, I can send you links afterwards of some really, really great organizations that help also loan soldiers and Benoche route feel supported there. 
if you are, I know seminary can be extremely expensive and some people want a way to spend a year in Israel that isn't going to put them in the crazy debt, but still want to be able to be in Israel to have that gap year experience or the experience of like getting to go around in Israel. Honestly, being a Bache route is a really cool way to do that. So I highly recommend that. I think for the army, so my husband was in the army. He was also a lone soldier. So his family's in Canada and he decided to serve in the IDF. I think from his perspective, it gave him a lot of life skills. So he's very grateful for that. I think it's hard. I mean, you're in the army. Your time is not your time. Your body is not your own. You don't get to control anything about your experience. And it can be very, 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 very challenging. So if coming to Israel and just living in Israel is a challenge and coming to Israel and being in the army, you like have to have a core motivator at the forefront of your mind or you can have a really, really hard time. As the years go on, resources for lone soldiers and lone Benachirut are just getting better and better. It just seems to be more and more of a viable option. For people who do not want to serve in the army, it's very important, and I know that there are ways to not do that, but also being young adults, like when I was saying, like, that's kind of the sweet spot. It's like, well, that's also kind of one of the main things that you have to contend with. So there are different ways. I don't know. I can't, like, really fully promote different ways of, like, getting out of it. But I know that, like, especially for people who are very serious learners in yeshiva and things where, they're like, they're committed to being a learner, there are things that you can do so that you don't have to be spend your time in the army. But I'm thinking about like my brother who was coming to Israel at around like he had left when he was younger than was coming back. And that was honestly one of the biggest things that he had to contend with. And he got and he sure to, to not be in the army. But all I can say is that that is a big bureaucratic hurdle to contend with. And there are ways that some people like do half and half, like some people want to learn and want to be in the army. And there's definitely options for doing that. There are options for girls. If you were like, sorry, like this is not my thing. There's options for you. For from like yeshiva guys, I would say that's probably one of the hardest groups to be in. And having not been one myself, but the only thing other people go through that experience, my only recommendation is talk to people in your community and that could be or in like parallel communities in Israel and see like what they did if they have a similar outcome for what you want network with them because either they'll be able to recommend a process themselves or will know how to do it but I can't give you like super details on exactly how to go around that that's okay. That's perfect. I really think today's episode was very helpful and hopefully valuable to our listeners. I am excited to hear the follow-up conversation. I hope this brings awareness to what you're actually dealing with and what are the different stages or the different challenges that come with different stages. Without it being a downer, I want this to be a resource because there are so many positive things you did mention throughout. Israel is a melting pot. Israel is a safe place for Jews. Israel does have so many options for religious observance and religious experience. Israel provides so many different benefits to so many people, but it's all about doing it for the right reasons and doing it with the right support system and doing it at the right time and maybe not doing it at all, depending on what your qualifiers are. So I really appreciate that we had this conversation today. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. It's also, it's really provided me a beautiful way to reflect on my experience and all the different things that I've seen other people go through and that I've gone through myself. And I just want to say it's a beautiful thing. And I want to send empowerment to the people who are thinking about it and who want to make that their home for their life that you should find and support and just all of the beauty and the encouragement that you need to make that reality a successful reality because we also we need happy thriving Jews in Israel and so I hope that this could help some of you get there amazing thank you so much Bracha if anyone wants to reach out to you how can they Absolutely. So I run the Bella Busta official Instagram page. So it's the women's empowerment platform. You can DM me on there. We'll link it in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah. DM me on Instagram. I'm always happy to chat, share my experience. I know a lot of people there. I'm always like happy to connect people. So I'm always happy to be a resource. Thanks, France Dance, for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you will join the Francisca Show discussion group on WhatsApp. The link is in the show notes. I'd like to note that we don't have a photo or a headshot for our guest today. That is because some of our guests do not feel comfortable having their photo out there. And I respect that. And I will respect their wishes. And this platform is for everyone. The idea is to give a voice and to bring representation to all different types of Jews. And as much as I love putting pictures of women out there in order to fight all the other establishments who are erasing women's faces, at the same time, we like to respect the wishes of individuals. And I hope you appreciate that too. Tune in next week for an episode with Hannah LaFelig and keep reaching out with all your incredible suggestions and volunteering your personal stories. I am looking for more No More Silence guests any other guests who want to share their interesting personal stories anonymously. If you like the show, you will probably enjoy the other podcasts on Jewish Coffee House Network. So check them out. The links are in the show notes. And if you need podcast launch help or podcast monetization help, please do reach out. This is what I'm here for. Shana Tova and Gmar Khatima Tova. <laughs>